X-Ray. The grand champion of the Great Northwest IPA Smackdown is... It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We are now joining you from our respective homes, uh, more due to circumstance than to COVID. Uh, but uh, hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Yeah, that's right. We're uh, we're we're separated, but uh, yeah, not not forced to be, just by choice. <laughs> uh, this is uh, I might as well say right away the second part of a two-parter where we have our big Northwest IPA Smackdown. Indeed. Uh, and what happened was we just ran out of time to finish the podcast part of the SmackDown. The SmackDown is finished. We know the winner. We know the winner, but uh, we ran out of time. We were together and doing this together, uh, and now we're finishing up, finishing this up remotely. I should say that I am Patrick Emerson. I'm a professor of economics at Oregon State University, and I just happen to drink beer once in a while. That's my qualifications. <laughs> and you are Jeff Allworth, author of many screeds, uh, involving beer, including the forthcoming Beer Bible Second Edition, out September twenty eighth. Oh, impressive! I know my. I can't scroll, believe you remember my that. scroll brain. <laughs> remember that from last time? <laughs> uh, seven times four. That's how I remembered. Uh, yeah. So, hi Jeff again. Yes. Hello. Patrick. And now we did the. And now see. And now we did the intros the way that I was thinking we should be doing the intros. Okay, well, that's after good. Screwing, after screwing them up last time. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll remember that for the future. Uh, what has happened in the interim since uh, we last left off with the first stage of the great Northwest IPA Smackdown uh, was uh, a little game of football between England and Italy, which did not end well. Yeah, that just concluded. So I'm I little, can't, I'm I can't a little imagine gutted. you're feeling great. Yeah, I bet violent. you are. <laughs> Especially since it was my boy... Uh, Bukayo Saka, who's an Arsenal player, young kid. Uh, it was hard to see, but he missed the deciding penalty kick. That is, yeah, that's, <sighs> that's really tough. I, I, I got I got on my beer tweeters because uh, I follow a lot of folks across the pond, and uh, yeah, uh, there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and beating of brow, uh, breasts, and it it was bad. Although I will say, uh, at least on beer Twitter, the British folks were were uh, were pretty proud of their lads, so I, I assume that. Yeah, I hope that folks they are- did well. And uh, to be honest, the best team won the competition. Italy, from the start to the finish, were I think clearly the best team in in the competition. And uh, so I suppose the the football gods uh, spoke, and the best team won. So uh, congratulations to Italy, but. I'm sad. Yeah. It would have been nice. (laughs) After all these years, it would have been nice for England to actually win a trophy. Uh, Anyway, and the other thing that's happened since then, maybe not actually the first time, but you went back to the movie theater, uh, I saw. I did. Yeah, no, Uh, that happened happened, uh, yesterday. So in between uh, our recording and and now, and I saw myself the Black Widow. I haven't. uh, How was it? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, uh, at this point, Marvel has a real formula, yes. and it, they they figured out something that no other movie studio has figured out, which is how to plug and play basically any story. <laughs> and so, you know, it's you you never feel like there's much of a risk uh, that you're going to dislike a, a movie. They've made maybe a couple bad ones in this series, but it, I thought it was 
nice. It was it was definitely uh, slightly different than the others, and I thought to its benefit. Um, hmm. There was a little bit more social commentary, uh, particularly it's you know it's it's interesting ever since uh, the Me Too movement has come along and later uh, racial reckoning. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to look at anything in pop culture without seeing uh, you know resonances of these other wider uh, issues, and yeah. so this this one really you know it's about a, a woman hero heroine and it's impossible not to feel that and and i felt like it was you know it was directed by a woman and had a male writer but but it really touched on some nice themes uh which i thought were handled quite nicely um in in of course the classic marvel package of <laughs> uh, big explosions and a lot of wry uh, fun comedy too so and you're you're a Stranger Things guy, uh, I know, so you'll you'll appreciate David Harbour's turn, which is yes, all I saw in the previews that he he plays a role. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, it may in fact be. Oh yeah, I haven't. We haven't been back to the theater since the start of COVID either, and it may in fact be the one that we go to because we can take the 15 year old and he'll be entertained. And um, yeah, and he's gotten his jab. Uh, and he's gotten his both jabs, in fact. Right. So he is fully vaxxed like the rest of us, which is pretty cool uh yeah so we're feeling it's it's sometimes awkward but for the most part we're feeling pretty good pretty confident um getting out and about yeah they did they did release it on television uh as well as the big screen and of course um you know many people will not find it a compromise to see it on the little screen but i'm old enough that uh i I really like the big the big experience so i recommend it go go see it on the big screen yeah me too i'm in fact uh sort of been waiting for a good excuse to get this seems like the first really good excuse to get out there and go see something on the big screen. So Indeed. And then uh, we watched ours at Living Room Theater, which is downtown. So we walked over to one of the many uh, fine breweries in our fair city. Uh, we went to Deschutes, and I had a Black Butte Porter in, uh, you know, sort of a, an homage to Black Widow. <laughs> All right. And how was it? You know what? That is such a damn fine beer. Yeah. Um I just don't have it very often, uh, and when I do, I was, I, it was also just kind of calling to me. We yeah. had um, this. This was we're recording this one on a Sunday. This was Saturday, and we had our big uh, taste off on a Friday. So I did not want an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, so it really, uh, it really hit the spot. Uh, yeah, and then that's one of those beers that you don't like. IPAs are something that's constantly evolving, and you sort of want something that's kind of a new version of it maybe. Uh, but you know, that's a beer that you just don't want to change. Right. It's sort of a timeless beer. That's, that's right. And we'll, we'll maybe talk about this a little bit later on, but I think it has a quality that you don't find in, um, many beers, which is one of refinement. It is a Mm. beer that has been made for over 30 years, uh, closing on 35 years. And it's a brewery that's really dialed it in. You know, they, they have tweaked it, uh, and almost, and, you know, at, atomic level to get it exactly where they want it. So right. uh, you really experience the the you know, kind of complete refinement when you taste a beer like that that's been made for so long. And I appreciate oh, you're that. Making me want, you're making me want one. <laughs> yeah. It's nice It's nice to go to a, one of the old classics where a brewery really cares about it and, and has taken care of the brand and, you know, making it just spectacular. And, of course, that the brewery is the place to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fresh. Fresh off, off the tap, but did they serve it on a normal tap, or did they? They they nitrate? did. They, uh, no, they didn't nitro this one. They had what did they have on nitro? They had something kind of cool on nitro, and they have cask engines there, but they seem not to be doing cask at the moment. So, yeah, that that, that seems to be something that's we're waiting to start 
start back up after COVID, maybe. It wasn't the yeah, greatest I, thing to have cask <laughs> craft beer just sitting there. Yeah, uh, and just, when there are a lot of our, when there are a lot of punters. <clears throat> and our and our quick post COVID uh, kind of observation of what's happening. Uh, the you know a Saturday night Deschutes Brewery for the last decade would have been one of the hottest tickets in town. Oh yeah, we walked over there at about like seven thirty something like that. Yeah, um, you're looking at at least an hour wait in normal times, and it yeah, was yeah. it was busy. But it was we got sat uh, in one of the outside tables immediately. Yeah. Um, so so they're you know we're not we're not back to full. <laughs> I know it's it's funny and and as I say I think there's also I, I mentioned this in a previous pod there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing going on that uh, I, you know a lot of these places uh, don't have full menus yet they're still staffing up they're still not sure exactly if customers are returning and I think customers like me sometimes I'll look and think oh well. You know, it's a limited menu and a limited number of beers, and so I'll wait. I'll wait, <laughs> and that of course perpetuates the the wait because uh, the customers aren't showing up as much. I, I've been a little bit surprised um, that it's taken a while. Uh, we went and had dinner at a sort of a very uh, uh, hip uh, uh, eating spot, and it took a while for us to get a reservation. So there are a few places there wasn't. It's not a very big place, and they're only doing outdoor seating. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few places that are experiencing sort of robust demand i guess but that's probably because the the supply is so limited right and the big brew pubs are you know volume based yeah and to shoots for those who have been there will can call it to mind it is a giant place and that now they have uh even more expanded outdoor seating that which is left over from covid so they have uh, they have a tremendous amount of seating uh which helped for sure us getting a seat but yeah but still yeah, and the weather's been fantastic. So places that have outdoor seating uh, are are uh, seeing perfect conditions for people to hopefully to want to come and hang out outside if they're nervous about being inside. Absolutely. So, so go support your local brew pub is what we're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Get out there so they can start brewing more beer and making more food and making it uh, more like it was before. All right. Well, uh, no doubt all the listeners have tuned in today for the thrilling conclusion of the great Birvana show, Northwest IPA Smackdown. You'll recall that last week we assembled a range of Oregon and Washington IPAs and tasted them blind uh, through great effort and a lot of masking tape. We did it because we didn't have a third person to help us. At the end of that show, we identified six beers that we sent to the finals. Uh, so we conducted that finals on the same day, that same Friday, um, where we recorded the first part. Uh, and we will reveal the grand champion and the silver and bronze medalists today. That's right. <laughs> Very should, exciting. And yeah. it, as with all blind tastings, there was a lot of surprise and intrigue. So that's fun stuff. Yeah. So the it, to, to remind you, or if you haven't heard the first uh, part of this, um, you might want to, but you don't have to. If uh, uh, So to remind you our sort of conditions, what we were trying to find is regular production IPAs, not one-offs or not special ones, uh, only IPAs. We didn't want double IPAs or session IPAs or black IPAs. Do they even have black IPAs anymore? You wrote, you wrote that down, but I don't think I've seen one in ages. Yeah, they do. They have them around. Okay. <laughs> well, they're, that rare. They're rare, but they're still around. Uh, they also had to be in cans just because of our limitation to keep things blind. So we decided only cans. And uh, we did, we did uh, uh, mix in hazies and non-hazies. 
So Hazy's and West Coast were both in the mix. And state bragging rights were on the line. And you might remember that the team competition finished uh, with Oregon on top, 285 to 248 in our very, 248.5 in our very sophisticated point scheme. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Preci- precisely calibrated. And uh, just to give you also a rundown, uh, we um, had six from, uh, sorry, uh, eight from each state. Uh, and from Washington, it was Rubens, Georgetown, Backwoods, Elysian, Fremont, Topcutter, Aslan, and Trapdoor. And from Oregon, it was Von Ebert, Breakside, Sun River, Fort George, Freem, Block 15, Ninkazi, and Boneyard. I think I, I think I got them all I there. Think, yeah, I think that's right. That's, I have my notes. I was looking at them. You had them in a different order, but it looks right to me. Yeah, this is actually in the order they that, that we actually uh, randomly numbered them, <laughs> except I had to like skip over the uh, uh, pick out the Washingtons and the Oregons. Uh, this, by the way, we should also admit uh, excludes lots of great breweries and great beers, um, and we weren't trying to uh, pre-select necessarily the greatest of the great. Although we did ask people for suggestions, what they thought were were really good uh, Northwest IPAs, but I don't want to. Um, uh, uh, suggest that um, there aren't other great ones. For example, I don't know, in Washington, their stoop was actually a beer we had, but we didn't include. Uh, Boundary Bay has been making great IPAs for a long time, and so on and so on. In Oregon, I don't know, uh, Ecliptic makes great IPAs. Deschutes, for example, makes great IPAs. So just to, just to admit that, this was, wasn't, wasn't intended to be the final word on great IPAs. Yes, with few exceptions, every brewery in Washington and Oregon make IPAs, and most have a flagship. So we didn't. We had our work cut out for us, but we wanted to find ones that were relatively easy to find. Yep. Um, for for Washington, they had to be easy for us to find down here south of the border, uh, which limited us on Washington a bit. Um, and uh, we also looked for regular beers, so you can go try most of these beers if you live in the Northwest. They should be pretty easy to track down, with a couple of exceptions, maybe. Yeah, that was part of what uh, what we wanted to accomplish. So. As you know from last time, we ended up doing a first round of tasting and picking our top six, and it just so happened, and this is true, it was completely random, that we ended up picking three from Oregon and three from Washington, so we were pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then today, we are going to talk about our second round of judging. So we took those six, we did a new blind tasting, and uh, crowned our champion and our silver and bronze medalist. And so... We will reveal these today in our show, but of course, before we get to that, we have to give you the news. It's not often that the passing of a single bar is newsworthy, but not many bars are Denver's Falling Rock, one of the most celebrated and important craft beer bars in the country. Owner Chris Black made the announcement uh, some time ago, citing changes, uh, we, which we went, since we were kind of off the air, we were, were mopping up a little, uh, of the big news from behind, from, from back in the, in the days. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. this, if you, you may already know about this, but, um, anyway, uh, owner Chris Black made the announcement citing changes in the neighborhood, more competition and the difficulty finding staff to stay open post COVID falling rock has been a signature part of Denver's beer scene for the last 25 years years and you used to live in denver what do you have to say about this news uh it's a shame i think um you know we were talking about how how beer producers had to pivot in the age of covid 
and how they had to switch to packaging, how they had to do deliveries, how they had to find ways to sort of get beer off taps and into into consumers' hands in other ways. And uh, that we never, I don't think we talked about uh, too much, uh, leaves places that are tap rooms, I mean, n- n- not dedicated tap rooms, but bar- uh, beer bars like this, which are largely draft, um, uh, sort of uh, in, in, a, in an awkward position where um, it's just really hard to, 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 sell, to sell beer and serve customers. I don't know if, if COVID was the, was the main reason for this, but um, I suspect it's been a tough, a tough 18 months. Uh, yeah, for, for places like that, I you know I read uh, a, a little bit of the commentary, and I do know that one of the co- one of the ways COVID impacted it is that Denver's kind of a weird town in in that um, it's uh, it's downtown is sort of an event space. Yeah, well, you know, there's uh, people don't just necessarily hang out downtown all the time, no. so they need to be they need to be drawn down there. And and since everything was canceled, people weren't just hanging out uh, downtown, which really hurt them. Yeah, so. and a big part of what drives downtown traffic has been um since what like 1994 i think was when they built uh cores not Coors field anymore is it it's some other field right uh, <laughs> yeah they definitely cited that specifically the colorado rockies uh built a stadium right downtown and it really revitalized a big part of downtown and the thing about downtown denver and i know this because i lived and worked there for six years and i worked right downtown uh was there's almost no residential at the time it's there's been a lot more built since I left. I left in 2006, but uh, yeah, there's just not a lot of sort of people naturally in and around downtown. And so something like a, a baseball stadium was a huge draw. And then of course COVID comes and those people aren't going to the games anymore. And um, yeah, that's a big, uh, a big part of, of probably what's, what's, what's hit uh, the downtown marketplace. Yeah. Indeed. All right. And the second news item for today, we have uh, news about a legal case making its way through the courts that may have long lasting consequences in the beer industry. Two giants, AB InBev, I've heard of them, and Constellation Brands, ooh, heard of them too, are fighting over Corona Seltzer. <laughs> and the case hinges on whether Seltzer is a beer or not. Constellation argues it is, and therefore covered under their 2013 licensing agreement with ABI, while ABI asserts it is not, and therefore there's two C's. Yeah, so the question hinges on whether uh, Constellation is a, a beer uh, by, uh, by legal definition. Corona, Corona Seltzer. Sorry, Corona Seltzer. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be interesting because it is a weird you know, it's a weird middle product that's that's taxed as seltzer, um, or that's taxed as beer, which is the lowest uh, tax category. So, right. if the judge rules that it's not beer, um, there may be some downturn, down downstream consequences, and and it would be interesting. I think that flavored malt beverages uh, would, you know, would enjoy probably less popularity, or they would be at least they would be less profitable uh, right. if they were taxed as something else. Yes, but. Give me, give me the backstory here. So Constellation licenses the Corona brand from AB InBev? Yeah. So uh, uh, the the details on this are a little bit kind of murky in my in my uh, memory. Um, I think I think AB own I think AB bought uh, the parent company of Corona, which is maybe Modelo. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a pre-existing licensing agreement um, uh, gotcha. which Constellation had to. To either bring the, to, I think to bring the beer in that covered uh, beer, <laughs> that covered beer, right. right? Gotcha. 
Huh. It was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was some weird thing like that. If, well, that'll uh, be interesting. You're right. It does have, it might have big consequences because, uh, and not all, uh, seltzers are the same, right? Some, some are malt based and then some are distilled spirits, that, right? Yeah, that's right. And you can even make them out of, uh, fruit. Uh, you know, you can, uh, ferment fruit right. as the base. So there's a lot of ways. The truth is they're basically, uh, sugar, um, and to get in, to be, to get that qualification, uh, it's in some cases, and I don't know the legal, I'm not sure about all the legal permutations here, but some, <laughs> in some cases, in order to do that, it has to be uh, 51% malt. So, uh, a kind of a grain, a neutral grain spirit, and then you can make the rest with sugar. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's kind of deep weed stuff, but, um, but you know, a single judge could have the capacity to, to alter the industry here which is yeah and and between the two of them of course it's huge because seltzers are going crazy right now and it's going to have huge implications who gets to sell the corona seltzers yeah yeah uh okay so now we have to turn to our second round of our great northwest ipa uh smackdown so i think it's probably a good place to start by reminding you who the top six or the six finalists are that's right and I will go in order of the way that they were uh, labeled uh, randomly by us. Um, so, well, no, I won't. I'll actually go by state. Uh, so from Oregon, the three that made the final cut are uh, Sun River's Vicious Mosquito, Fort George's Three-Way, which is kind of a cheat because uh, it's a it's a, a regular occurring IPA, but every year it changes. It's a th- collaboration with two other breweries. Uh, and we have Von Ebert's uh, Volatile Substance. So those are the three finalists from Oregon. And the three finalists from Washington State are, uh, speaking of AB and Bev, Elysian's Space Dust. Yes, it, <laughs> yes, it made the top six. An AB yep. InBev product. Uh, Ruben's Hazelicious. And uh, Trapdoor from Vancouver, Washington. And I didn't write the name of it down hold on glowed up oh, i got you, you. i got thank you covered you. thank you <laughs> uh and i'm going to admit that i didn't even know trapdoor existed uh, i'd never heard of the brewery before uh, it's a yeah it's it's a, a you know a, a smallish brewery that has has made some noise but is definitely you know i mean the, it, what you didn't mention in the final six is some of the breweries that that we did not select which included you know, breweries like uh, Breakside and uh, Freem and Fremont uh, and Georgetown, some yeah. kind of some kind of big names that are super famous for their IPAs. So little old Trapdoor coming in from the Couve uh, definitely uh, would have been considered a, a pretty serious dark horse, I think, at the start of things. But yeah, here they are. Yeah, I mean, there we we you know we picked uh, sixteen beers and breweries that you know we we're pretty confident make pretty great stuff or new pretty made pretty great stuff uh one or the other uh so i suppose it's not a big surprise but yeah some of the ones that uh i always sort of think of as like the best of the best um didn't didn't make our final cut and we should also admit that in any blind tasting like this in competition like this um uh you know results are dependent on many many factors so uh, totally who who knows what would happen if we did this again that's that's exactly true and we didn't we you know when we were doing the first podcast we didn't have a chance to really fill in 
kind of some of the details around the tasting and some of the caveats. But I, that's a really good point. And I would like to add that um, if you, uh, the listener, were to go out and pick up these six beers, you'll, you would almost certainly come up with uh, three different beers than we did uh, at the end. And that's partly because you may have gotten different cans. Uh, you know, they might not be as fresh or, uh, you know, they might not have been treated mm-hmm. as well. Your, your own uh, hardware is a little bit different. So maybe there are different flavors in the, the beer that Patrick and I like that you don't like. Um, and on and on and on. So there's yeah, and we and there's we some taste- science, but there's also some art. Yeah. yeah. So and what's interesting is we tasted the in the first round we tasted these outdoors in um, in the fresh air on a warm day, right? Uh-huh. So that also sort of changes, I think, things, especially like the ambient temperature, um, but also right. just kind of the ambiance as well. And then we did the second round indoors. Um, uh, also on a warm day. So I, I was just thinking about this ex post about how many sort of uh, things matter when you're doing these things. And I'm sure my tastes change from day to day too. There's some days I'm looking for one thing and some days I'm looking for another. So, uh, and, and, and that's less true, I think of other beers, but with, since IPAs are such big, hoppy, saturated beers, I think they are even more prone to that kind of volatility. Yeah, and I think uh, there's the final important caveat there is people don't drink beers the way that you taste beers in a, in a judging competition where right. you have, you know, an ounce or two, uh, certainly uh, in, a, in a preliminary round where you have 16 beers, yeah, you know, you're not drinking you're, very little. Yes. <laughs> you're, not, you're not drinking full pints and, it, and, a, and a beer will wear differently over the course of a full pint. So it's, it's it, you know. Yeah, uh, and we'll actually, I'm, I'm going to, you don't know this, but I'm going to revisit that um, when we come back around. Yeah, at, I'm at excited to hear. You teased something to me before we got on the air, so uh, yeah. I'm excited to hear your, your reflections. That'll be cool. So let's just let's just talk uh, really quickly about the nuts and bolts of how we did this. We went and caught the cans. Uh, we then uh, wrapped the cans up completely in, in scotch tape. And you can see pictures of this. I think Jeff posted on the Beer on a Pod Twitter, right? Not- not scotch tape. We we actually used opaque. I mean, I mean masking tape. Sorry, masking <laughs> tape. Yeah. That would be particularly amusing. Uh, it was all transparent. Uh, so we taped them up and made them completely uh, as as anonymous as possible. Uh, and then we just randomly numbered them. And then we numbered cups and we poured them out. The only uh, slight flaw in the system, as we mentioned last time, is that some of the breweries have like specially colored pull tabs and tops. But uh, I didn't watch, and Jeff is. And Jeff poured, and he's colorblind, so that sort of solved that problem. Yes, yeah, one of those uh, hardware issues. I have some bad eye hardware. Uh, the good thing is that you pick out the difference between like an amber and a straw, and those kinds of colors, so you can tell what your beer looks like. So that's good. That's right. It was the tur- the turquoise pull tab on the Ninkazi, which I which really I it just looked silver to me. I, I had to study it really carefully to see the turquoise. Yeah. Which so that so down. that worked well because I didn't watch you, and so uh, there was nothing. By the way, uh, we also ended up with what like three and three clears and hazies. Um, so and we also ended up with three and three Oregon Washington and three and three sixteen and three and three uh, and three twelve ounce cans. So that yes, was interesting. The sixteen I don't versus know. twelve might have given things away, but luckily we're old men and our minds don't 
remember little details like that. So that's right. Okay. So that's how we did it. And then we poured out a small pour and a bunch of different clear cups. And we were able to look at what they looked like, what they smelled like, what they tasted like. And as Jeff said, um, we're talking about two little sips for the most part um, to try and get the, the full experience so that we weren't rolling around drunk by the time we got to Pier 16. <laughs> Right. Uh, and then we repeated the process again for the final six. Once we revealed those, uh, we moved inside to do that one. Um, and uh, now we're going to talk about the results of that second tasting. Yeah, that's right. Before we do that, though, just, you know, draw out this suspense. Uh, yes. We should talk just a, a moment about, you know, what, what do you look for in an IPA? What should an IPA taste like? How have they evolved? Uh, and yes, uh, uh, I think... You know, we've talked a lot about IPAs on this podcast. We probably don't have to go down that road too deeply, but they definitely have changed. And I noticed this when I was judging uh, the American IPA category at the Oregon Beer Awards this year, um, that, that you know, it, it's a style that's been in flux, evolving for 25 years. Yep. And so, it, it, you know, it's an interesting, this is another one of those those uh, those ways in which uh, we you know, your, your results may vary depending on how you feel about uh, different, different epochs. So we had some beers in the lineup that were uh, much more traditional, old school, um, early aughts uh, IPAs. So they were much more piney, featured the hops before the, the great innovation in hop breeding. So before Citra came along in 2007, mm -hmm. uh, there was, you know, Citra, Centennial, Simcoe, uh, these older hops that had a very citrusy, piney quality, uh, which is the flavor of the United States. So it's it's pretty typical even in modern IPAs. But but I think kind I of think you meant to say Cascade. Did it, what did I say? Citra. <laughs> See, oh yes, Cascade. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before Citra, there was Citra. Right. No, yes. Uh, so and, and they were t they tended to be um, much more heavy on the caramel malt uh, back in the day, much more bitter and less juicy. Yes. And then they began evolving. Do you want to pick it up, the story from there? Uh, well, you know the story better than me. I can tell you the flavors that came along, these really intense sort of citrus flavors uh, uh, from the South Pacific. We got some more intense tropical flavors as well. Um, so uh, the flavor notes in these hops became really prominent, and the utilization of the hops changed a lot. And they were more uh, put in on the cold side. And so you got a lot of the, the, the intense saturated flavors without the intense bitterness. Did Absolutely. I do a pretty good job? You did a perfect job. Okay, good. <laughs> and, then, and then the third kind of, or I don't know what, what it, not sure what number it was, but then the, yeah. the, the most recent innovation was the, the hazy right. uh, approach, which uh, has that juicy quality that Patrick just described, but also the visual uh, component of of cloudiness mm -hmm. and the uh, often although this is less the case in the northwest and it was certainly we just our our, review, our tasting revealed that it was less the case here um, a, a fuller sweeter uh, palate that is um, you know less has less bitterness and uh, is really very sweet really honestly right. uh, the northeast uh, versions of these tend to be far sweeter and fuller, um, and don't, may, may not use any bittering hops at all. Uh, right. where, whereas here in the United, uh, here in the Northwest, that seems not to be quite the case. So, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, you and I have different tastes, uh, in IPA, so that's good for the judging, but I do think that you and I both agree that sort of this balance of sweetness and bitterness, 
uh, is kind of an ideal characteristic of an IPA. Um, uh, whether people share that, that's sort of, I think, our objective truth about sort of what we're looking for in an IPA. I don't like something that's too sweet and sort of cloying, and I don't like th something that's so bitter that I can't taste it after a couple sips. And, you know, somewhere in between. For me, balance is important. Absolutely. And the other thing that I uh, talked about a lot, so another, I guess the other thing we should talk about in sort of the process is that we all went through, you and I both went through the beers uh, without talking to each other, we took our notes, we thought about it. And then after we had done that, then we sort of conferred and we discussed the beers. And that's actually, I think, a really useful process because you see some things that I missed and I'll have some opinions that you might have thought about. And we sort of incorporate those things as we sort of talk through and come up with our beers. And one of the things that I realized that I really looked for as part of this process is I like sort of some kind of flavor note that really sort of shines and sings um and this is a real modern thing so i suppose i i skew modern in that sense although mm -hmm. i suppose it could be pine but generally like i, I tend to like a citrusy uh, ipa and then i like to have that like you know orange or tangerine or grapefruit or whatever the note is really sort of uh prominent um i really enjoy that so i realized that about myself as i went through this process yeah and i think that's uh a legitimate uh, re requirement for any IPA as a, as a quality or any beer as a quality of distinctiveness. It needs to be something more than generic. And we actually, in the first round, uh, had a, a beer or two that we, we felt were a little too generic. They were well-made, they were clean, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't have that quality. And yeah. uh, we eliminated them for that reason. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is true of me and everyone who's listened to more than a couple pods will know this because I never shut up about it, is that I don't like uh, beers that are too strong. Um, right. and a lot of Northwest IPAs get pretty high in the ABV. Um, and I tend to, I tend to shy away from things that are uh, too big. Um, but you know, uh, I enjoy a good IPA if it's well-made in, in most, you know, if you're tipping the 7% scale, that's kind of where I, I fall, <laughs> I jump off the train, but for the most part, I can handle, handle it up to about that point. Right. And, and I was actually looking at both uh, when I was peeling all that tape, I had a fair amount of uh, fun de-taping these things. And so I was able to look both at the uh, date on the cans and also the ABV. And ah. uh, to all of these breweries' credit, I don't, I did not see a single can that did not have a date on it. Uh, and well further done. to their, yeah, further to their credit, uh, None of the ones that uh, that I saw, and I didn't start looking at the very first one I, ta I untaped, but I looked at probably at least a dozen of them. Mm -hmm. um, they were all less than two months old, so that's pretty good. Yeah, we 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 didn't have any beers that were really long in the tooth, which you know that brings its whole. That's a whole other factor that really changes things. Sure, and yeah. Mostly, and I think this is another thing that we're seeing in the United or in the Northwest is a lot of IPAs now, kind of are in the uh, uh, six point two to six point four range. Like that yes. seems to be settling down to where the strength is, which is also really good. <laughs> yeah, pretty high on that. Yeah, yeah, because for a long time it was the high sixes, low sevens were seen, seemed to be sort of the average, which was a little too much for poor old me. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we can talk a little bit more about IPAs because I have a couple questions for you as you go along, but maybe I'll, I'll just get started talking, uh, talking about our six beers. And I suppose um, we should do this in order to increase the suspense and keep uh, listeners on the hook. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, it's a podcast. So they just hit boop, 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 15 seconds more, 15 seconds. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, we didn't, we only ranked the top three. So we can talk, I suppose, about the, uh, the three that didn't podium, didn't medal. Okay. I like it. All right. So in no particular order, uh, remember, <laughs> let's talk about those. Uh, so one of them, I think uh, people might be uh, happy to learn um, just out of a sense of um, independence, I suppose, is the Elysian Space Dust. Yes, it did not. It did not advance. Yeah, I really liked it the first time around. I said uh, a lovely aroma, very citrusy, maybe slightly even guava. I gave a demerit for having um, a little bit uh, too slick of a mouthfeel, a little bit sort of left a little bit of uh, a slick on my tongue, which I didn't particularly like. Uh, what was interesting is that I, I said it wasn't super bitter before, but actually one of the things that in the second go around, I I dinged it for. That's interesting. I found it slightly as been Yeah. Yeah. My notes, I I, I, I know what you mean by the uh, uh, astringency. I, I wrote down black tea, mm, uh, right. which is uh, kind of a tannic quality. Um, it was, yeah. it was, th- and this is another thing that might happen in a, in a taste off. It was a comparatively mild, uh, beer uh, in this in this flight, and so it, it was very harmonious. One of the we we ranked these beers on aroma, flavor, character, harmony, and gave them an overall score as we mm-hmm. were going along. And uh, I gave it I gave it good a good harmony score, but I well but it but it suffered a little bit by being a little lower uh, volume on the the aroma and flavor especially compared to some of these other ones on the table yeah and this is one of the things i wanted to talk about as we went along i think that um the sort of uh, more i don't know what the right term is i don't want to just say bigger but more sort of robust beers kind of uh i think had a had a leg up in the second round of the the tasting just because you know we had had so many at that point that in order to stand out you almost needed to have bigger flavor so maybe that's part of it yeah. Uh, although I do, I'm proud of myself because I'm looking at my little my little scores for each of the categories, and they're pretty consistent across both tastings. So, yes, and me. I, 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 <laughs> my, mine are also fairly consistent. But I'll say that when we were tasting the beers the second time, I managed to flush the, my memory out of the first tasting pretty well. So there was only one beer there that I really recognized. And, yeah, uh, I didn't mean that I recognized it. I just meant that I think my you know my palate had been had been uh, you know. Um, uh, desensitized a bit just because I had so many and right. my nose maybe too. And so beers that came even stronger on the palate and stronger on the nose uh, in the second time, maybe they, they showed up better in terms of my own perception. Right. If that makes sense. So another beer we had, we tried, do you want to go to the next one? Yeah, go for it. Uh, kind of uh, shifting gears a little bit uh, is a hazy, uh, from Fort, our friends at Fort George Three Way IPA, and this one yeah. actually got discussed. Uh, this this was sort of the maybe the fourth beer. It was it was trying to worm its way into the top and didn't quite make it. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's impressive because you know it's a beer that just uh, got released. It's uh, uh, as we said, it's the one <laughs> one beer that's not a regular uh, in in terms of the the formulation every year. Um, but I thought it was great. Um, it had a ton of the juicy kind of overripe fruit Mm -hmm. tropicality that you want in a a hazy, you know, almost it's got the tropicality, but then it's, it feels like what tropical fruit tastes like on a hot tropical day. Yep. Um, Just 
steaming in the sun. Um, it was uh, a little bit hot on the tongue, which isn't a negative. Uh, it was just noticeable. Um, yeah. And I think I think a lot of times people like their hazies. A lot of hazies are, are, are pretty strong. And I think one of the reasons that's a benefit is is because it helps add balance for, for what are thicker, sweeter beers. And yes. it also... It, it volatilizes the aromatic, so it really makes it pop up as well. So it has a couple of benefits there. Um, and I noticed that in this beer. Yeah, for me, I, I really like this beer. I thought the flavor was fantastic. I really just, in terms of just a pure sort of flavor experience, I thought it was one of the very best. But yeah, for me, it's a big, big beer. And uh, uh, that, to me, uh, means I taste the alcohol. And alcohol, for me, um, personally, is just kind of a, not an off flavor in terms of a bad beer, but just a flavor that I don't particularly enjoy. Um, and so that's probably the biggest complaint I had. Uh, uh, we, we know, by the way, because we discussed a, a couple of years ago, we went to Rubens in Washington and they were part of the three-way. And we know that they take this very seriously, that it's not just a, uh, let's put our names on it and just make something. That They actually spend a lot of time developing the recipe together and going through uh, iterations until they come to something that they, all three of them like. So I know that they um, uh, that this is a serious project that they take a lot of time, and you can tell the result is a, a refined beer. Um, uh, yeah, really nice. Yep. I thought it was really good balance of of um, bitterness and and uh, and sweetness. Yeah, I did too, and and uh, it. Like the other, most of the other hazies we tasted, it was uh, more attenuated than you'd find on the East Coast, which I also approve of. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, comes comes across a little drier and less just sweet and cloying. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there's nothing. I don't think there was any beer that we really had that had that sort of northeast feel to it. Um, no, I can't, I can't remember a single one that that I felt was just too sweet. So, and we really gave him we really put them through their paces uh, in, in terms of exposing because we put them in these little glasses and they were, they got warm pretty fast, especially when they're sitting outside. So if they were, if they were sweet, they really would have sweetened up. So uh, yes. I, think, I think we can, we can verify that they've done a good job of making them nicely balanced as far as that. Yeah, that, it's true. That but, yeah. That, and that's, I think a good point that a lot of these we tasted reasonably warm, um, yeah. which is generally a good thing for them to express themselves, but you know, there's pluses and minuses, I suppose, to both. Right. Um, okay. And then the last of the three non-podium beers um, was the Sun River Vicious Mosquito. This is a more classic uh, Northwest IPA. It's a it's a clear, you know, bright beer, uh, yep. and it has the more citrus dank uh, mm-hmm. nose. Um, exactly. Yeah. I found it was. Uh, I, I thought it was quite a resinous hoppy uh, flavor. So mm-hmm. um, it was pretty cannabisy on the nose. And then when I tasted it, I, I got a really uh, more more of a black pepper bitterness, uh, which was really nice. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, my notes say floral, ganja, and spice. <laughs> <laughs> there I you think go. That's, yeah, so I think that's the black pepper note for you. I also thought it was sort of dank, like the sort of uh, more ganja-like hops. Um, I thought that part of the problem for me, again, was just he didn't, um, these days, you know, when you pick up, you get served a pint of IPA and you pick it up and you put your nose in it and just some big flavor pops out like orange or, as I mentioned, 
you know, tangerine or guava or whatever it is. Uh, It was sort of a subdued aroma um, and a little old school in that sense as well. Uh, As you mentioned, it wasn't hazy. It's a bright beer and it's, um, you know, it's sort of somewhere between amber and straw. So it's kind of a medium, medium, medium colored uh, IPA. It's a really pretty one. Uh, yeah. And it's a little, and it's and it's also a little old, slightly old school in the, in the finish. I felt was uh, pretty bitter. It kind of stayed on the tongue a bit. Yep, sharp finish. I note. <laughs> Look, at uh, Look at us. Yes, we're on the as same if we page. Know and... we're talk- as if we know what we're talking about. People outside of Oregon may not be familiar with this brewery. It's it's in Central Oregon. Uh, they win a ton of awards. They're one of the most award-winning breweries in in Oregon. So in in some ways, this is not so surprising. But in another way, it is surprising in that. The beers that normally win all their awards are the ones they have two lines of IPAs, uh, mm-hmm. hazy and non-hazy, and they release those as one-offs. Uh, and those are the ones that tend to get most of the attention for the brewery and most of the awards. So Vicious Mosquito is their flagship that they have in their regular rotation. Um, and uh, but still, you know, made it into our finals. Uh, it's clearly a brewery that knows how to make IPAs. So if you're in Oregon, look them up. They're not one of the breweries that. Uh, people talk about all the time, but um, locals know them pretty well. Yeah, Sun River is a funny place. It was a place, I don't know, when was it late 60s, early 70s or something? It was created out of nothing on the, on the sort of foothills of um, Mount Bachelor. Uh, yeah, it's kind the, of like a, vac- a vacation place. Yeah, sort of a resort place. So I've always kind of probably uh, subconsciously discounted them just because it just seemed like a brew pub and a, and a place with a lot of tourists. And so you wouldn't really need to worry about how good the beer was, right? Because people are just going to stop in anyway. But no, uh, they, they do a fantastic job um, and are one of Oregon's great breweries. So kudos for making the top six, Sun River. Hey, I wanted to ask you before we get to the top three, just to, just to build more suspense. Uh, yeah. Uh, w- what is your interpretation of why IPA became the American craft beer? And now it's sort of... It's been exported around the world. And you go to England now and you'll find lots of versions of American craft IPA, essentially. That's nothing like a traditional English IPA. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. There was nothing that was guaranteed. You know, when, when American brewers started up in the 80s, uh, they tried everything. You know, Sam Adams had a lager. And, mm-hmm. uh, we, we talked sometimes about... Um, uh, Pete's Wicked, which was a brown ale. Uh, and then yeah, there was Hefeweizen, and Hefeweizen, American, American Hefeweizens here in the Northwest. And yep. you know, there's a lot of different kinds of things. So it wasn't obvious that IPA was going to be popular, but those hops that are grown here in our region are so distinctive and so unusual. And it, and it took brewers a while both to uh, emphasize rather than de-emphasize them because they were not well-regarded interna- internationally and also how to use them because they're so intense. They're, yeah. um, you know, a, a, a typical uh, hop, a typical European hop will have about uh, something like four or five uh, percent of alpha acids uh, mm-hmm. in the oils. Um, and these are, uh, you know, up to, up, up to four times as many alpha acids. So very intense, uh, a lot of oils, a lot of aromatics, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of thiols and interesting characteristics, which means that they're really kind of hard to brew with. You have to figure out how not to overwhelm the beer. Right. Uh, but then, uh, so they started doing what you mentioned earlier, Patrick, is putting them later and later in the process. So the tropicality would come out, the juiciness would come out, and it just kind of, in, in, it was an evolution as customers got really interested in these really unusual flavors, very different from European beer. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, 
the brewers continued to make them uh, and accentuate these and the customers liked them and it went back and forth and and then here we are yeah do you think that the Amer- american hop uh you know um uh, uh breeders were more aggressive in sort of seeking out new uh uh, new strains of hops and new breeds and uh, and so on, or is it just a function of the of the, uh, uh, the particular climate that we have, or or what is it that's sort of created created this sort of great burgeoning of hops out of the Northwest? Well, we've always been the hop. Well, I shouldn't say always, uh, but for over a hundred years, uh, the West Coast has been where hops were grown. California actually used to have a fair hop uh, uh, industry, but um, it, it, the climate's really good, but we we were brew, uh, growing pretty crappy hops known as cluster, and in the uh-huh. in the 1950s, which which are very harsh and rugged hops, uh, they contain a lot of the things that we think of now as classically American, but they were very rough. Right. Uh, and so the USDA uh, thought it would be a great project to try to develop new hops that were m- more refined in flavor. Uh, and so they launched a project in the 1950s, which didn't really produce any hops until the late 1960s when they came out with Cascade. And a couple of years later, they came out with Willamette. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that <laughs> those hops were not especially, well, Willamette was more so, but uh, Cascade, which was supposed to be this American noble hop, right. um, which was going to go in Budweiser and beers like that, um, it, it had all this expressivity. And uh, it probably would have just been abandoned if we had never had craft brewing because uh, right. it had no commercial appeal and it wasn't a kind of hop that they were going to use in Europe. Uh then we're not going to import it from uh, the United States to Europe. But then craft brewing came along. And, and once it did, they were craft brewers were interested in new hops. And so there was some more interest in creating hops for craft brewers, aroma hops. Uh, and meanwhile, some of the brewer, or some of the hop growers were making these extremely intense uh, hops for uh, their alpha acid of production. And it turns right. out some of those also had some intense tropicality. So just right. sort of by accident, uh, craft brewers like, Oh, look at this hop. It's got 17% alpha acid. Uh, if I put it in a dry hop edition, it's amazing. And, yeah. and so, that, that so the impetus helped. was to create a, a, a hop that was super bitter. So you didn't need to use as much to bitter your beer. Yeah. If you're, that's... A, big, if you're a big macro brewer, but then it had these uh, crazy great flavors you could you could extract from it, and that's what craft brewing did. That's right. All right. Well, we should uh, let's uh, no, do it, man. Yeah, let's not prolong the suspense any longer. So, our three medalists uh, coming in third place. The bronze medalist was Rubens Hazelicious from Washington. Way to go, Rubens from Seattle. Uh, so, uh, the name gives it away. It's a hazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I found the aroma slightly subtle, but the flavor really popped. Thought it was sort of tropical citrus, a really nice balance between the sweetness from the the flavors and the um, the bitterness of the hops, which meant that it finished nice and clean on my palate and made me immediately want to go in for another another uh, um, uh, another sip. And I also gave it high marks for its mouthfeel, just a. a um, uh, I thought it was nice and full and and, uh, um, and enjoyable on the mouth, but nothing too resinous or nothing that lasted too long. And the nice little sort of bitter snap at the end really helped clean the clean the palate for the next sip. 
and what we about were, you? We, yeah, we had very similar notes. Uh, I also noted uh, it, its mouthfeel. I wrote fluffy as a mouthfeel, and I I, I commented mm. in my notes about how well balanced it was, and I think that's a really important thing to do in these in, intense beers. And so I'm I'm right there with you. It it's very lush and fruity. I got passion fruit and tangerine were kind mm. of the the flavor compounds that i got yeah which is um, lovely <laughs> yeah it is lovely and, and they were they were dialed exactly right they they weren't uh like a speaker that goes past what it can actually handle and it starts to get fuzzy sometimes right. hops will do that and yes. this was not that way it was like really just right on yeah uh yeah exactly and it had just what i was talking about it has that note like uh, uh you said passion fruit and tangerine i'll take that um uh and that's like that flavor that just really sings to me. Like I'm looking for something that's really distinctive. Oh, that's just fantastic. So yeah. uh, well done, Rubens. Um, I'm not super surprised because Rubens is a fantastic brewery. Um, I'm not either. And we, we really waffled about whether to go. We were going to go Rubens for sure. And we were waffling about whether to go Crikey or Hazelicious. And I don't know how Crikey would have fared, but I'm glad we, we got yes. Hazelicious. So they, they're in, the, they're in the, the top three. That's a very good point. In fact... Uh, I didn't have to make that decision because when I went to the store and looked for the Rubens, the the Crikey was sold out. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, the decision made. Uh, he's delicious. I probably would have argued for Hazelicious because I know on previous tastings that um, I'm not as fond of Crikey as I am of Hazelicious. So there you go. There you go. All right. Silver medal, which also gives away the gold medal. But the silver medal was from Spunky Little Trapdoor Brewing in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, Big surprise. With, yeah, with their, and again, I didn't write this down, with their hazy called... Glowed up. Glowed up, thank you. Yeah, this is <laughs> super surprising. I had no idea. In fact, it it only was added to the competition at the last minute because we had a couple of extra beers. We needed to figure yeah. out what number 16 was going to be. And I'm glad we did uh, because it's a fantastic beer. It uh, really, well, yeah, yeah, yeah it what, really is a fantastic beer it's another hazy so we had two hazies and a and and uh if you've been following along you know what our our, our gold medal was not a hazy but uh, uh i think that's a nice mix it's probably appropriate for where we are in the world right now that we'd have a couple of hazies in the top three mm-hmm. um this is another beer that just w- wins on just accomplishment refinement it's a really well-made beer yeah um it it, it has a it had a, actually kind of an un, slightly understated uh fruity aroma that in my exactly. mind yeah it really blossomed in the mouth though so i got mango i got a little bit of strawberry which is surprising i got orange Ooh. just all these lovely fruity notes um it was very smooth uh it did have a little bit of bitterness at the end which was great uh it kind of stiffened it up um, it was also soft and fluffy. Um, it it might have been closer to the New England uh, approach in terms yes. of um, the bitterness uh, and the sweetness. It was a little bit a little bit f- uh, fuller and sweeter than than uh, some of the other hazies we had, but it it worked perfectly. And uh, and and you know the truth is we had a big discussion about the silver and the gold. This was definitely. Um, you know, on a different day, <laughs> we might have we might have chosen it as a gold. It was a really good beer. Yeah, your notes again and mine are very similar. Um, I said it finished slightly wet. Uh, same kind of idea, very fluffy on the on the mouth. Wasn't quite as um, sort of bitter and, and and dry as some of the more northwest style. So yeah, it leaned a little northeast. I wrote orange and um, tropical flavors. Uh, and yeah. then and then yeah, the one perplexing thing to me was the aroma. The, the the flavor is amazing it just is 
it's an explosion of flavor when you drink it, but the aroma is slightly subdued, which, which <laughs> I found a little, um, odd. Uh, yeah. but, um, other than that, yeah, I didn't find much flaw with it at all. It's uh, a really excellent, excellent beer. Uh, and really from the brewery, I never know existed. So even <laughs> though it's now two Washington uh, beers, and if you figured out the third one's Oregon, even though Oregon won the team competition uh, among the on the podium, it's two Washingtons and one Oregon. But one of the Washingtons is basically Portland metro area. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's we, right. We can so, kind of claim it as our own. That's right. <laughs> Clearly. All right. <laughs> and so that leaves the grand champion of the Great Northwest IPA Smackdown is Von Ebert's Volatile Substance. Yeah, which I have to say uh, is not a huge shocker. This is an award-winning beer. I think it it won the OBA uh, as best IPA or oh really? Yeah, for something. Yeah, it's an it, it's already won some awards. Um, so. Well, it hasn't really won. It hasn't really won an award until it's won (laughs) our award. Absolutely, it's won minor awards. What they're going to, yeah, what they're going to put on the can is, of course, the Birvana Pod, Birvana Show. Sorry, excuse me, Birvana Show, (laughs) uh, Northwest IPA Smackdown champion, gold medalist. That's Uh, right. So this, for me, is a perplexing beer. I think maybe I'll have you do your notes, but I want to just remind listeners what happened was the first. Uh, round, I actually had this beer um, not among my top beers, and Jeff did. Uh, in fact, I think it might have been your, your very favorite uh, uh, from the first round. Um, also, just to give you a quick reminder, I love the Boneyard RP, what turned out to be Boneyard RP, RPM, um, uh, Jeff less so. But what was interesting to me about this beer is that I, in the second round of tasting, I had this as the top one. Yeah, it would really surprised me when we were going through, and you said, "Oh, I would choose this one first. <laughs> what? Yeah. So why don't why don't you give your flavor notes, and then I'm going to tell a little story about this beer. Cool. Okay, uh, it's an interesting beer. It is, uh, I think, the future of IPAs in many ways. It is. It is a clear beer. It's it's a beautiful beer. I, I think it's Sam Pecoraro. I hope mm. I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. There, Sam. Uh, he makes beautiful beers, and it was a beautiful beer. I always admire that. But it, it, it is both uh, old and West Coast in that it is fairly bitter. Uh, it was sticky, herbaceous, sappy, dense, mm-hmm. like heavy base notes, pretty West Coasty. But on top of all that is this this wonderful saturated juiciness that kind yes. of dances right along with that so it's like you're getting you're getting the best of both worlds it's coming it's meeting right in the middle and and it just does it so well well the the flavors are perfectly articulated you know it's there's nothing muddy at all about it um, mm-hmm. the aroma is it had one of the 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 most uh the strongest aromas it was you know just wafted off the glass it, it was it was a really impressive beer yeah so here's the thing for me is that the first time around what i noticed was the, the first things you were mentioning, the sticky, dank, uh, heavy, um, it's a bit boozy too. It's I think it's like a 6.9% beer. Um, and I wasn't getting so much of the, of the other flavors that shine through. Uh, and so that's, you know, the first round, I wasn't super uh, enthusiastic about it. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't like one of my uh, least favorite beers. It just wasn't one of my top. Uh and then something weird happened, which was by the uh, by the second round, um, 
I had a different experience with the beer. I smelled it much better. I, uh, you had all that dank base exactly as you describe, but at the first time around, I wasn't tasting those those nice flavors, the sort of citrusy and um, uh, 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 notes. Uh, but the second time around, I did, and then it really sang. Um, and so I was so confused by this. And since we've had the the the, the benefit of a couple of days since we did this, last night uh, I was shopping and and there was a can in the store, so I decided to buy another can of. Of Von Ebert because I was so confused about how I could have such a different first take and second take. Uh, and, and I had precisely the same experience happen in the same glass, uh, <laughs> which, which is I, I cracked the, I cracked the can, I poured out a glass, I had one, two, three sips. And I thought, Oh, we've made a terrible mistake. I was right. For, I was right the first time around. It's heavy. It's kind of muddled. Uh, there's no distinct flavors. Uh, it's, resinous and boozy and all the things. And I'm like, ah, what, you know, what happened? But by the time I was towards the end of my glass, all those other flavors started coming through. And I don't know how to describe, I don't know how to explain it, but by the end I was taking sips and I was like, wow, there's that amazing orange citrus flavor on top of all of these really interesting, you know, sort of piney and resinous notes. Um, and I think I was sort of more attuned. Maybe it's Maybe it's the booze for me. Maybe it's just that after a while I become used to the booze and it doesn't get in the way or, mm. you know, the, the alcohol flavor. Uh, and then I appreciated everything about it at, by the end. And so uh, I, I found that a really instructive experience. I don't really know what to take away from it, but it was interesting that I had sort of that same experience drinking this one can of, of, uh, of the volatile substance then as I did with this sort of first and second Um uh, tasting. Uh, and it was really quite, quite just remarkable and how, and how much I, um, enjoyed the latter part of the beer <laughs> as opposed to the beginning part of the beer. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Uh, I, I, I have no comments beyond that. That's, I think, I, so I think the short story is basically that I'm sort of, I was sort of overwhelmed by it, uh, to begin with. And probably a lot of the alcohol flavor was coming through and, um, and it took a while for my palate to adjust. And then once it did, I was able to sort of appreciate, get over that sort of initial assault on my senses mm-hmm. and then appreciate the finer points. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a, it is a really, especially if you like your, your sort of big IPAs, it's a, it's a really quite an amazing beer. It's kind of almost like a, like a trip through, <laughs> through the history of IPA in one can. Uh, and that it has all those base notes and then the sort of hops that sing on top. Yeah. And I think, it, you're right. It does have a, a elements of the past and then mm-hmm. uh, elements of the future. And I think in in their coming together or, or the present, and then in their coming together, I think sort of uh, maybe pointing away to the future. I, I really think that there's a way for all of the things that we like about IPAs to be put in the same glass. So yeah, as we were narrowing down our very last beers, I was able to sort of you know I kept taking more sips and more sips and more sips of the last few. Uh, and I think every time I took a sip of the Von Ebert, I just liked it better and better. So it's a it's a perplexing beer to me, but it's um, it's truly great, and it's our gold medal winner. Congratulations, Von Ebert, who has really served <laughs> notice in their two or three years of business, however long they've been around. With COVID, I never know anything about time, but um, they they're really doing great work, and uh, uh, this just goes to show. 
So if you're in Portland, they're in, they're located in the Pearl District, so they're really easy to get to. That's downtown. It's a part of downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they have a nice big tap room. Uh, uh, actually, it's a it's a brew pub, so you can get food there too. And you should definitely stop in. It should be one of those breweries you put on your list when you come to Portland. They are they have joined the they've joined the big hitters. Yeah, it's great. And I, I have one gripe, uh, which um, maybe they can correct because we gave them a gold medal. I mean, they should do something for me, which is that they used to have this wonderful, I forget what they call it. They just called it some kind of like lager, like Portland lager or something like that. But it really, what it was, was kind of a hazy Hellas, maybe a Keller beer is how you describe it. Uh, It it was fantastic and and quaffable and great on a hot day. And I could just sit there and have three, four or five pints of that stuff. Uh, And um, it may be a victim of COVID. I'm not sure if it'll ever come back, but uh, it hasn't been on the menu recently. All right. Well, there you sadly, go. Sadly, sadly. So uh, that's just to say that they can make a great, a great light lager, and a great giant, giant modern IPA. And they have a second location uh, at a golf course in East Portland where they're doing Wild Ale. So they're really an ambitious brewery. Cool. All right. Uh, so yeah, congratulations to our medalists once again: the gold medal von Ebert's Fall to Substance, the silver medal Trapdoors Glowed Up. Is that right? Yep. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and then the <laughs> bronze medal was Rubens uh, Hazelicious. So that's Portland, the gold, and Vancouver, Washington, the silver, and Seattle, the, the bronze. Uh, all right. Well, we should transition now uh, to our mailbag, which is once again bursting. Well, I don't know. We have a couple. <laughs> we have a couple. And uh, we're, we're running a little long, so we should we should trot through these pretty fast. But thank you so much for uh, for sending these. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Why don't you start? All right. <laughs> You're doing that because yep. Dan's last name is li- really hard to pronounce. Uh, Dan Kutsukreo. I'm going with Kutsukreo. Hey, what do you beautiful. Think? All right. Yeah, primo. <laughs> <laughs> primo. Uh, Dan, apologies. I'm sure I butchered that. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for writing. Uh, Dan writes, I really enjoyed uh, the episodes you've done uh, once in a while that are deep dives on a particular beer style, especially the one on Pale Ales from a year or two ago. I'd love to hear more episodes in this vein, especially about important but trend- less trendy styles. And in particular, I was curious if you might consider doing one about brown ales. Mm. This is a style I've loved since I started drinking craft beer and for a time seemed like one of the most, one most breweries made at least the, at the very least a seasonal offering cigar city, Maduro and Bell's best Brown still show up near me on occasion, but it really seems to have fallen into becoming a pretty niche style and not one that seems primed for a revival anytime soon. I think you're right about that. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this thought came to me when you were discussing Pete's a few months back, which we even mentioned here. And I'd be interested to hear your take on that history, history of brown ales and learn what's happening to them lately. All right, Pete. All right, Dan, we'll do this then. Brown ales are sort of interesting actually. And uh, I would love to do that. I love these style dissections and we've never done one on brown ale. So let's throw it in the hopper. Yeah, we should do it. And I'll just quickly uh, throw out that, you know, uh, Early in the very crude, that we're now in the sort of the mostly crude days of the Beervana show. But in the really crude early days of the Beervana show, we did a lot of these very deep dives into styles. Uh, and they're now like years old and back in the poor audio days. And so we've discussed whether um, it would be worth going back and, and re basically reinvestigating and doing, doing deep dives on those same styles um, in, a, uh, in an updated uh, version. So I'd um, like to know what you think about that. Yeah, let us know. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Dan, for that. And Jason Fleming uh, writes, 
I was reading an article on Vox about food waste, and it got me thinking about beer. Sure, there is some segment, likely not large, that looks at dates on beers and buys based on that, but most people don't. So how do grocery stores and bottle shops manage product that might be out of date? Who eats the costs and who determines out of date? Does beer ever really get dumped for being old? We've seen the stories recently about the larger brewers breweries sales flatlining or even decreasing, did they go through a phase where the product actually had to be dumped because presumably there is some lag between the market deciding to buy less of something and that uh, and the pr- production going down, essentially? Or maybe uh, this all has an easy answer. I just don't know. That's actually a really excellent question. So tell us, Jeff. So the responsibility falls on the distributor uh, who, mm-hmm. so the uh, you can, Jason. Uh, you, you might have listened to our our series that we did on distribution, uh, the way beer gets sold in America. Typically, uh, there's some variations here. Is a brewer will sell it to a wholesaler who sells it to a re- retailer. So when you go to the grocery store uh, and you see old beer, um, that is beer that the distributor should have recalled. Uh, yes. They should get, be grabbing that out of code product off the shelves, but they don't always. And um, uh, at that point, the the supermarket or whatever is selling old beer and that's actually not a great thing for their customers either. It's like selling old bananas. <laughs> no, and a great frustration to brewers. Right. Who don't don't like bad product being sold. Though to your other question, what happens to the that beer? I haven't uh, the vaguest clue. Do you have any idea what happens to that beer? <laughs> no, I don't. They probably <laughs> that's a really good question. I just give it to their sales staff for free. <laughs> Here you go. Here's some old crappy beer. It's got dust yeah. on it. Good luck. <laughs> Instead of a gold watch. You've been with us <laughs> 10 years. Here's a case of out-of-date beer. Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, I don't. And I also don't know um, uh, who establishes um, uh, how long is too long, I suppose, the brewers do. For each uh, beer, they might that, say after two months, this is out of date. That's right. In the United States, the typical, and this varies. In Europe, it's it can be six months or a year. In the United States... And we are right on this, by the way. Uh, three months is considered right. the point at which oxidation becomes uh, too prominent, and that will happen with with light lagers and IPAs and everything else. It's just, oxidation happens; it's irreversible. Uh, there's nothing you can do uh, to prevent it. You can mitigate it somewhat, and it seems like at about 90 days, um, the oxidation flavors are really becoming so prominent that the beer is not in fine fettle and needs to be taken off shelves. So uh, there, there's a few, few tiny uh, exceptions. There's very strong beers uh, and, and uh, highly acidic beers will last longer, but uh, in the, in the main 90 days. Yeah. So it's a good rule of thumb. If you're a customer, you take a look at those dates, give it about yeah. three months. If it's older than three months, you should probably move on. And I would like to put in a note there uh, as we, as we uh, mentioned earlier on our uh the, the IPAs we tasted, most of them, probably all of them, but I can't verify that, were dated. And that's fantastic. And m- almost all of them have now gone to born on dating, to use Budweiser's terms, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is much better than a best buy date because you don't know what criteria they're using. So right. if they tell you when that beer was canned, you know exactly how old it is. And that seems to be starting to be the standard here, at least in the Northwest. And it's fantastic. And I encourage people to do that because it's like milk. You know, you don't want to buy milk that's spoiled. I look at my dates on my milk and you should do that with your beer too. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and kudos, I think it's becoming a standard now, which is absolutely appropriate. Yeah, it totally is. Uh, okay. 
So uh, we should wrap this thing up, put a bow on it. Uh, once again, congratulations to Von Ebert and to Trapdoor and to Rubens for being our medalists. Uh, now a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to Jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beernomics. I sure do. So thanks, thanks for uh, the contributions. Thanks everybody for making beer that we can taste and do <laughs> a competition. Uh, and because we're not sitting in front of the beers, I don't have anything to cheers. So we'll just have to sort of give a a notional cheers. A notional cheers it is. All right. All right. And cheers, congratulations, Jeff. congratulations to our three winners too. Cheers to you especially. Indeed. All right. Bye. Cheers, Patrick. <laughs> cheers. Mm-hmm.